There was a father. And this father had two sons. And one day, the younger of the two sons came to his dad and he said, Father, I want my portion of the inheritance immediately. I do not want to wait until you've died. So the father, surprisingly, divided his estate and gave to the younger son his portion. Well, just a few days later, that son stuffed his backpack took all his belongings and his pockets full of money and off he went. Away. He didn't really care where, just away. Far from home and dad and older brother and chores and duties and obligations and responsibilities. Away. And he landed in what he thought was a pretty nice place. He had some fast friends. Money will do that. And he began to have a good time. He lived a wild life. He tried it all. But money doesn't last forever. And about the time his money ran out, it just so happened that a a great famine was going on in that part of the land. And the economy took a great turn for the worse. And it was hard to find a job. And Out of desperation, he took the only work he could find, which was feeding pigs for a farmer. And I didn't tell you, this was a good Jewish boy, and this is a pretty unacceptable practice. But there he was, taking care of these pigs, and and he was so hungry that, that even as he dumped the slop out for those pigs, he thought, well, that looks pretty good. So he stooped down to eating the tamarind pods that really were only fit for pigs' consumption. One day, this young man came to his senses. He thought, what am I doing here? This is crazy. Back in my father's house, even the servants, have they're practically throwing food away. They've got more than enough. And I'm starving. Here's what I'll do. I'll go back to my father's house and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be counted as a son. Please take me back as a hired hand in your household. And so back he went. What he didn't know is that the father had not given up on him. And that father was waiting for his return, watching, watching. And he saw him coming a long way off. And that distinguished, gentlemanly father grabbed his robes and he ran to his son. He he, he maybe didn't recognize his tattered clothes or or his, his shabby look. Certainly not the stench of working with pigs, but he recognized that boy's gait and he wrapped his arms around him and hugged him and kissed him and welcomed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned. I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm not worthy to be called your son. So please just take me back as a hired servant in your home. 
The father didn't even acknowledge the boy's pleas. He said to one of his servants, quick, get the best robe from the house and put it on him. Get him the family ring and put it on his hand. Put some, get, some, get some sandals for this boy's feet. And that fattened calf, the one we've been saving, slaughter it. We're going to have a feast. We're going to have a celebration because my son, my son who is dead is alive. My son who was lost has been found. And so that's what they did. And the party started. Well, you remember there was two sons in this story. The older one, the, 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 the good one, had been working in the fields and he came in from, from work and taking care of the family business and he, he heard the, the sound of a party going on in the house. And he grabbed one of the servants and said, what's going on in there? And the servant said, oh, your, your brother's back. And we're, we're having a festival. We killed the fatted calf for him. Well, the older brother was livid and refused to go in. And so the father, who was a loving, compassionate father, came out and begged his older son to join the party. And yet he refused. He said, all this time, I've slaved for you. I haven't refused to do anything you asked of me. And now, this son of yours comes back after blowing your money on prostitutes and you're going to kill the fatted calf for him? You know, not even once did you even give me a little goat to have a party with my friends. And he refused to go in. The father said, son, you've been with me this whole time. Everything I have is already yours. But your brother, he was dead. And he's alive. He was lost and he's been found. We had to celebrate. That's the story that Jesus told. To a mix of Pharisees and sinners and disciples. It begs the question, what makes a good father? What makes a good dad? A a dad buys his children toys and bicycles and makes sure they have a place to live and food to eat. Perhaps is even able to pay for his education well, those are good things. But is that what makes a dad good? Because what about the, what about the, the dad who's not able to buy those things? Who, a dad who's parenting in poverty, perhaps. Or what about, imagine this, a Syrian refugee dad who's, who's leading his family on the run, seeking asylum in some place with nothing but the shirts on their backs. Could not... Those men be good dads too? Of course. And of course every dad wants to provide well, but we know material things aren't what automatically makes a good dad. 
comes down to relationship. A good father gives presents to his children. I, I don't mean presents as in Christmas presents. I mean presents as in the act of being there. Because that's what kids really want. There's a video going around on social media right now produced by the Gillette, you know, shaving company. Uh, 90% of kids or so ask Google a question before they ask their dad or mom. So they did a little experiment where they invited young, young men to ask their dad questions that they would ask the internet. How do I shave? How do I tie a tie? How do I take a girl on a date? Then at the end, they asked these boys, what was it like asking your dad instead of asking Google? And they're like, oh, it was way better. We loved it. All these heartwarming scenes. And I'm like, oh, I should have taught my kid to tie a tie. They had to learn from the Internet. You know how often I wear a tie, so I'm not very good at it. Well, in the story of the dad and the two sons, it, it was no problem for the father to give his sons stuff. The younger son demanded his inheritance and dad apparently had the means to divide up the state and provide for it. We learn at the end of the story that the older son, you know, complained he never got so much as a little goat. But the father corrected him and said he could have whatever he wanted because it was all his already. What the father really wanted to give his sons was a relationship. Being present with them just because they were his sons that's a good dad any dad can do that and God our heavenly father does it best perfectly if you're following in your outline this morning the first point there is that God is the good father because he offers relationship God is the good father because he offers relationship. Now, not everyone sees God as a good father. Some see God as a, as a distant parent or as that dad who's always yelling at his kids. Some people believe that God is demanding. He demands your, your time and He demands your money and He demands everything. But that's not it at all. God is a God who listens. God is a God who gives, who offers everything to us, even His one and only Son, Jesus. God is generous and gracious and kind and merciful. And when we understand that, we can't help but respond in wanting to give our life to Him. Most of all, God does not demand your presence with Him. He offers His presence to you. Jesus was a spectacular storyteller. The best. And this story of the, the dad and the two sons is perhaps one of the best known. It might be the best story ever told. I, I don't know. It's remarkable. You don't really know how things go after the end of the story. I don't know about you, but we kind of expect the younger son to come back and, 
and be reprimanded, to be to be set straight, maybe maybe made to pay back all that he has squandered, or at the very least, sort of in a probationary way, held at arm's length in the family until he's you know proved himself. So I can really trust you again, son. We're going to have some limits. That's what I'd expect. It's probably what I do. Instead, not only does the father break with acceptable customs by running to his son and embracing him and kissing him, he's given a robe to represent forgiveness. He's given a a ring to represent family authority. He's given sandals to represent his freedom. He's He's given the fatted calf to represent a sacrifice for sin. And he's given a house party to represent eternal salvation. What an amazing father. The best gift a father gives is the gift of presence. Which is what your heavenly father offers to you right now. Now, the behavior of the two sons reveals much about how we are to relate to God. And I I owe... A thanks to author John Eldridge for some of these thoughts. Think about it this way. The reckless younger son had this all figured out, right? Enough with the constraints of home and enough of the rules and the chores and the family obligations. He was done with all that. He was going to make it on his own, get as far away as possible. And with the money he got from dad, no problem. I got this figured out. He chose a life of indulgence. Or another word for that would be license. Do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want. No limits. He chose indulgence. Meanwhile, the smarter, hardworking, older brother respected the rules, did his chores. Right? He met each and every family obligation with perfection. And he might say... I'll make it on my own, but, but begrudgingly and under the authority of dad. Someone's got to uphold the family name around here. Someone's got to do it properly. Might as well be me. Ever met anybody like that? He chose a life of striving. Another word for that might be law. Keeping the law, keeping the rules. So you've got indulgence. And you've got striving. You've got license and you've got law. And they both missed what the Father had for them. A life of liberty. A life of freedom. A life built on a meaningful connection with the Father. The younger son, maybe he grasped it when he came back. But the two brothers teach us this. This is the second point in your outline. That neither indulgence nor striving will create a meaningful connection with the Father. Neither indulgence nor striving create a meaningful connection with the Father. What do you really want from your relationship with God? Think about this. Why are you even in this relationship with God? Is it a ticket to heaven? Is that it? Because that's... That's fine. That's okay. That's, that's no problem. Your faith in Jesus and repentance from sin brings you to that place. Okay, so that's done. What else? 
Do you want an easy and trouble-free life? <clears throat> Sorry, not going to happen. Some of the most devoted, faithful followers of Jesus walk through the darkest valleys. Some of you are those people, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right, well, maybe, maybe you just want others to see what a good Christian you are, what a well-behaved, you nice believer you are. Well, that's what the Pharisees were after, and no one was rebuked more harshly by Jesus than them. Our Heavenly Father isn't like us earthly dads who say, Act nice. People are watching. Make a good impression. What will the neighbors think? Our Heavenly Father doesn't do that. I'll tell you what I desire myself, personally. I want to know the Father. Even as the Father already knows me. You know, I, I don't see my, my dad very often. My parents live far away. But when my dad calls me on the phone, I don't say, I'm sorry, who is this? Sorry, who's calling? What? Oh, oh, my dad? Oh, okay, nice to hear from you. No, he doesn't have to identify himself when he calls. I recognize his voice because he's my dad. I want to know my Heavenly Father, my Abba, my Papa, to recognize his voice when his spirit speaks to mine. To know that's God speaking. I want to know the security and the power of his presence. And he wants the same for me. But we have freedom to choose a life of indulgence. A life of striving or a life of freedom. License, law, or liberty. Which do you want? License, I will say, is somewhat appealing. Right? Just sin all you like and just let God forgive you later. Just, ah, oh yeah, just, just go for it. Paul wrote about that. The Apostle Paul wrote about that in Romans 6. He said this, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Well, of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined Him in His death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, as just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Unrestrained sin is not the answer. Personally, when I, when I sin, when I ignore the prompting of the Spirit, when I ignore my conscience, when I blurt out things I shouldn't say, I don't actually enjoy God's grace very much. I'm ashamed. I pull away from relationship with my father. So license isn't the answer. Okay, well, what about law? Law is kind of appealing because it's kind of easy. You make a list of do's and don'ts, have a bunch of check boxes, and just do those and you're fine. It lets you live kind of at the edge without falling over. Just do the bare minimum and you're in. There's a, there's a certain appeal to that. You don't actually have to know God personally. 
But the Apostle Paul struck that down too. Look what he wrote in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. Who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was been made clear, as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? No, of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again. Does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. So neither law nor license enable you to connect to the Father. Instead, the Father invites you into an intimate personal relationship where you're listening to Him. Not obeying God to get his favor, but living a life pleasing to him because you already have his favor because you're a child of his by your faith. For example, you read your Bible not because God demands you read your Bible. You read it because he reveals himself to you in it. He shows you himself. He teaches you and guides you. That's why you do it. If you're doing it out of obligation or duty or somehow to get... God off your back, you need to, you're doing it wrong. Second Corinthians chapter three puts it this way. The Apostle Paul has been just teaching about the law and that people who are who are constrained by the law, who read, you know, who limit themselves to reading the Jewish scripture laws. He says it's like they have a veil over their over their minds and they can't understand truth. And then he says this. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away for the Lord is spirit. And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is the spirit, makes us more and more like him as we're changed into his glorious image. He's doing the work of changing you from the inside out. The big Bible Church, Christian word is sanctification, the process of making you holy, setting you apart for Him. You kids that are going to believe this week, part of God's work in your life, He's working on you, He's sanctifying you, He's setting apart your life, He's at work in your life. What both sons in the story really missed was an understanding of their identity. They bore the family name already with all the father's approval and authority available to them already. It was enough to be children of the father. It would have been anyway. So let's not be like the young son trying to prove himself by his reckless indulgence in sin, saying, Ma, see, I can do whatever I like. And let's not be like the older brother, striving to prove his worthiness. See, I keep all the rules. How about pursuing a meaningful connection with God by digging into the identity of child of God, child of our loving, generous, gracious, merciful Father?
Okay, Brian, but it sounds a bit vague. How do we do that? Well, it's only by coming to experience the love of the Father. And I admit there's something somewhat mystical about that. What's the biggest problem in any broken down relationship between friends, parents, kids, anybody? It doesn't always come down to a lack of love, right? If love is selflessness, if love is saying you first, I prefer you over myself, there's a lack of love that breaks relationships down. Today's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to the dads, but in, 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 for some people, and you may be one of them, you don't really want to think about Father's Day because for you, you never felt dad's love. Maybe dad, you know, walked out on you physically or maybe dad abandoned you emotionally. You still talk to him, you see him a lot, but they're like, ooh, there's no connection. And so you say stuff like, oh, you know, I know my dad loves me. He just, he's not really able to say it. But, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think you're not able to say with certainty, my dad loves me. Because there's been a distance, a, con- a disconnect. Just speaking out of my own experience, my spiritual life was a lot of duty and obligation and striving for a lot of my life. Till I, I really began to be able to say, my heavenly Father loves me. I think in that song we sang, I think some of you would have a hard time with the second part of that chorus. You're a good, good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are. You have no problem with that. It's who you are. And here's where you kind of choke on yourself. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. Some of you are saying, I, 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 don't, I don't feel comfortable saying that. Truth is, you are. Loved by Him. There was an author, William Young, that helped me with this a little bit. One of his books, he, in writing about God the Father and Jesus the Son, he points out that you know, they're not like some kind of good cop, bad cop duo. You know, God the Father isn't like the bad cop saying, you know, yelling at you, saying, come on, you sinner. And then Jesus, the good cop, comes along and says, hey, don't worry about him. Just tell me your stuff and I'll get you off. We'll make a deal. Okay, let's just work this out. And when he wrote that in the book, I'm like, oh, that's exactly what I've thought. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So if you like what you see in Jesus, guess what? You're going to like what you see in the Father. He's a good, good father. The good news is that you don't have to conjure up good feelings about God. He's already, it was what verses we read, he's already given you a new birth. And he's given you his Holy Spirit. And he's the one that makes it possible for you to enjoy a free relationship with him. If you'll just drop the indulgence and drop the striving. Got one more scripture passage to show you. This is Titus chapter 3. If you're following in the R&R readings and journaling, this will be familiar to you from this week. But it writes this. The Apostle Paul says, When God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, remember that word, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, because of his grace, he declared us righteous 
and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Do you have confidence you'll inherit eternal life? Do you? Because if you understand grace, you will. In the prodigal story, that story of the dad and the two sons, why did the father welcome back the younger son? Was it because he'd learned his lesson? You know, was it because he'd finally smartened up and improved his behavior? Had he finally repented enough and groveled enough? No. Nope. The father welcomed him for one simple reason. He loved him as a son. The father loved both sons, even though at first neither son could accept it. And in the end, the older, religious, well-behaved, hard-working, good son was excluded from salvation because his religious pride and his unforgiveness and his inability to accept grace or an inability to let others receive grace kept him out of the house of the Father, kept him out of salvation. Tragic. He was disgusted by grace and could not receive it. And so here's the good news yet again. Your behavior can never qualify you and your behavior can never disqualify you for salvation. For a relationship with God. Only your faith in God's grace or your lack of it will qualify you or disqualify you from that relationship. Let me illustrate one more way. Think of your own dad. Regardless of how good or bad he is or was, potentially at least, who created the relationship or who created the potential for relationship between you and your dad? Was it you or was it your dad? It's the father. The father is responsible for creating at least the potential for relationship with the child. Either by birth or adoption, your father makes the relationship possible. And in the same way, it's not up to you to create a relationship with God. He's the one offering his presence as a gift he doesn't demand your time and attention. He's offering his time and attention to you. He doesn't demand your love and affection. He's offering his love and affection to you. The question is, can you accept it? Because when you discover that he's a good, good father, he changes your desires from indulgence in sin or striving in law he changes to enjoying freedom of a relationship with Him. Don't let yourself strive for acceptance. It's wasted energy. Don't let yourself squander grace on indulgence. It's fruitless. Enjoy God's love and mercy and grace. And kindness, because that's what makes relationship and salvation possible. Please pray with me.
God, I thank you that your Holy Spirit saw fit to include this story in the Bible. I thank you for the reminder of those sons who, who, who didn't see you for the good father that you are. Don't let us miss that. And Lord God, where we've, where we can admit we've given ourselves to just indulging in sin, thinking, well, you'll take care of it. It doesn't really matter. Grace will cover it. God, would you bring us to that place of brokenness and repentance, of throwing ourselves on your mercy? And Lord, for those of us who have, who've worked so hard to be good and worked so hard to keep all the rules and show that we're really keeping up, Lord, would you just help us to see what a, what a house of cards that is? And God, I pray that you would just be doing, continue to do your work of drawing each of us into a relationship with you, the freedom of relationship with you. Lord, where we've placed unrealistic demands and expectations on others, where we haven't allowed others to experience grace, forgive us for that too. Let us not only experience your mercy, but be actual pipelines of mercy to people around us. I thank you that you are a good, good father. That really is who you are. Jesus, thank you for revealing God to us as your father. Draw us into that, I pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.